2 Timothy chapter 2. And here's what we're going to do today. In the Institute, we're studying 1 and 2 Timothy. And I read these verses and it reminded me of the story of Pharaoh. Look what it says in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That'll be the subject this morning. Opposing yourself. In meekness, Moses instructed Pharaoh who was opposing himself. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now go with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We'll start reading at verse 14 and read through verse 18. The Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out to the water. Thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. Keeping your finger in Exodus because we'll be looking at a lot of scripture this morning. I want to reread you 2 Timothy 2. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Now Moses, the Bible says, was the meekest man that ever lived. And he went in patience and great gentleness to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Now when Pharaoh refused, when Pharaoh said no, when Pharaoh hardened his heart, he was not opposing the word of the Lord. He was not opposing Moses. He was opposing himself. Now it's easy as a preacher of the gospel to take things personally and to think that someone is opposing you personally, but no one is. They're opposing themselves. And God will have to work through repentance and repentance happens when someone acknowledges the truth, which Pharaoh refused to do. Now, here's what I want you to see happen. He comes with this command, let my people go, which was not unreasonable. Now, if you don't think about it thoroughly, you may say, well, he was going to lose a working force of possibly 500 or 600,000 people. That would greatly affect the Egyptians, the Egyptian way of life, the Egyptian economy. What would be reasonable about that request? Well, believe it or not, Pharaoh was a religious man. And Pharaoh worshipped gods. So for Moses to say, let us go and worship, he was used to religious people needing to worship, being commanded. And the command came from God. And he knew as a worshiper of false gods that his gods commanded him to worship. So... For, him to, for Moses to come to Pharaoh and say, let us go and worship our God. Even for him to say, let us go into the wilderness to worship. That was reasonable because the Egyptians, their gods were animals. And the Israelites were about ready to sacrifice animals or sacrifice the Egyptian gods. Wouldn't be a smart thing to do that in the land of Egypt. 
So for Moses to come and say, I need to take these people. We need to go out into the wilderness. We're going to sacrifice to our God. It was all a very reasonable thing. But look what the Bible says in verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. And look what Moses did. He refused. Now, God is a gracious God. It's amazing how patient he is. You know, God could have spoken the word and Pharaoh would have fallen over dead. But repeatedly, he extends his goodness, his mercy, allowing Pharaoh to make a choice. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 21. Look what it says. The first word of verse 21, else. That's a wonderful word, Pharaoh. God's not saying this is the way it's going to happen. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. You're going to pay a consequence. He said, listen, let my people go else if thou will not let my people go. So God was giving Pharaoh an option. He said, listen, just let them go. Just obey my voice. Just do the right thing. Now, he allowed Pharaoh 10 different opportunities to do the right thing. Because of the hardness of his heart, he refused each time. And here's what he did. Go back with me to chapter 5, verse 1. When Moses first comes to Pharaoh, afterward Moses and Aaron went in, they told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord. Those are harsh words. I don't know why, but to human nature, thus saith the Lord is harsh, offensive, and abrasive. God's word doesn't give us much leeway. It's very direct, very clear, very plain. Hard to misunderstand. So he comes and says, this isn't my word. Matter of fact, Moses didn't even want to do this. He had battled with God. God had become angry with him, with all of his arguments. And finally he comes in and says, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, look at the hardness of this man. Look at the pride. Look at the stubbornness. How obstinate he was in his reply. Who is the Lord, wow, that's obstinate, that I should obey, well, he's the creator of the universe. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He gives you life. He gives you breath. He makes your heart beat. Matter of fact, he's so powerful, he's going to break your will with lice and frogs. How many of you have ever had your will broken with lice? How many of you have ever seen a frog and you were broken? Did you know God's so powerful? He could break an obstinate heart with a frog. Yes, sir. With water, with lights, with hell. Who, is I, who am I and who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I. That's a hard heart. And listen. Here's what a hard heart does. It'll blatantly disregard the word of the Lord, blatantly disobey God. When you do this, you're opposing yourself. You know, life is difficult enough. How many of you live long enough to figure out that life's complicated? How many of you, the longer you live, the more you see the complications of life? You don't like opposition. You know, we, we see whether that's health or finances or the government, the direction of the country, society in general, the weather. Listen, there are a million things that oppose us. Some of you have a hard time, you about break down, you know, you walk in the store and there's no peppermint ice cream. 
And you think Bluebell is opposing you because they haven't put the right flavor on the shell. You'll see in life there are a lot of things that oppose us on a lot of different levels. The worst thing you could do is start opposing yourself. And when a man is lifted up in pride, when a man becomes stubborn, when a man refuses to submit himself to the word of God, his opposition is not against the Almighty, but his opposition is literally against himself. And here's what Paul said to Timothy. Listen, you're a man of God, and when you go, be gentle, be patient. Don't strive, but preach the word. And when you do understand, this person is not opposing you, but is opposing themselves. And the consequences would be reaped. Look what it says in chapter 7, verse 14. Look at the hardness of his heart. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth. He's not going to give in. Verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken. Now, when it comes to the word of God, the smartest thing you could do, the wisest thing you could do, the intelligent thing to do, would be to simply hear, heed, hearken, listen, and obey. That would put yourself in favor of yourself. To do anything to the contrary means you're opposing yourself. Now look, his heart was so hard in verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Now you've got to understand, the water becomes blood. You know how long you can live without water? Approximately three days, maybe four if you're very fortunate and hydrated. This lasts for seven days. The water turns into blood. The search is on. People are killing each other over water rights and the search for water. You've got a glass of water? I'm going to take your life to get it. The waters become blood. Here's what Pharaoh does. He's so broken by the word of God, the consequence that he's suffering. Look what it says, verse 23. I'm saying that sarcastically. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Did you understand that? He goes down to the Nile. It's literally now the water has been turned into blood. The, the fish are dying. The land stinks. Their water supply is contaminated. And Pharaoh is so hardened against God and what God is doing, he turns and walks into his house, and it says, neither did he set his heart to this also. Say, that doesn't matter. It's just water. I can send a few men, at least they'll provide for me water. Here's what's amazing about Pharaoh. If you look at these plagues, what happened, because of his stubbornness, because of his pride, which always brings devastation, he was literally devastating an entire nation. You know what pride does? When we're lifted up in pride, when we refuse to walk in humility, we start to devastate not just ourselves, but everyone under us, everyone around us, everyone in our area of influence begins to suffer the consequences. And Pharaoh, it's not just your house now that's searching for water, but it's an entire nation and people will die because of your pride, because of your hard-heartedness. Look what it says in uh, verse 18, the fish that is in the river, they shall die. The river shall stink. Can you imagine the stench? How many of you like the smell of rotting fish? I don't even like the smell of good fish cooked over a stove, let alone stinky, rotting, bloating fish floating over the Nile. 
Look what it says in verse 21. And the fish that was in the river, they died. The rivers stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 3. So they suffer the loss of their uh, water, their water system, their water supply. Verse 3 in chapter 8, the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. How many of you enjoy frogs? How many mothers like it when your child brings home a frog, puts them in a box, and jumps out of the box, and you're moving the couch trying to locate that slimy creature? They brought forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house. Now listen to this. Here's what God did. God placed millions of these creatures. Look how he placed them. Into thy bedchamber, upon thy bed. How many ever have woken up to the cold, slimy skin of a frog on your leg? I haven't either. I'm sure it wouldn't be pleasant. In thy bed, into the house of thy servants, upon thy people. It's one thing for them to be around you, but to be upon you. Can you imagine when God is placing these frogs? He literally placed them upon people. You say, you believe every word of the King James Bible? Absolutely. If God said he placed them upon the people, that means he directed their jumps. He directed their landing. He directed them as they hopped from house to house and person to person and bowl to bowl and plate to plate. You say that really happened. Look what it says. And into thine ovens, God placed them in their ovens. That means where their food, when they open those doors to cook that food or they set those pots upon those fires, God carefully and calculatedly put frogs in their pots and pans and plates. And into thy kneading troughs, and the frogs shall come upon both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. Listen, Pharaoh, all you have to do is humble yourself and this all goes away. Now you tell me how long you're going to watch blood come out of your faucet. How long are you going to wait when you have frogs coming out of your cupboards and out from underneath your sheets and in your dryer and your washer, and your couch, and in your bedroom, and in your bathroom, before you say, I know I've had enough. I think uh, uh, we'll skip this and just obey the voice of the Lord. Isn't the pride of man amazing? The stubbornness of man. How many of you have children? How many of you have ever dealt with a stubborn child, and you're trying to break that will, and you thought, how long are you going to hold out? Will you sit there? I'll, that little boy looks at you and says with his eyes, I'll sit here all day. And I'll sit here all night. And I'll sit here the next day and the next night if I have to. And that child says if there's a will that's going to break, it'll be your will that breaks and not mine. Isn't that man and the heart of man and the stubbornness of man? And here's what happens is God brings these plays. Look what it says in verse 24. Upon Egypt... God is using nature. The Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh. Remember, there is not a lot of 
great hygiene. There's no plumbing. We're, we're talking thousands of years ago, folks. And those flies are landing on everything that's rotting. And then, now thousands and thousands. I remember a house in Mexico one time. My wife and I, we went to eat at this place. And in the kitchen, literally, the ceiling was black with flies. It took away my appetite. <laughs> Decided, suddenly I had the inner desire, the first time ever, to fast. <laughs> but there are swarms, thousands of flies, landing on everything you don't want them to land on, and then landing on your food. And you can't swat them fast enough. And flies were literally, look what it says, they were corrupting the land. Look what it says in chapter 9, verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon the cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. And there should be a very grievous moraine. Can you imagine the animals of the kingdom, all the cattle, the horses, the asses, the camels, and the oxen, suddenly become sick with the disease, some kind of pestilence. And when they die, you can't even eat the meat. Can you imagine the stench? Where do you put these animals? And as Egypt watches the hand of God, and even the magicians say, this is the very finger of God, and they begin to plead with this man who had a hardened heart and a very proud disposition that continued to refuse and resist the will of God, while God devastates a nation, he refuses. Look what it says, chapter 9, verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the what? Once again, remember this. God was carefully placing and doing all of this. They couldn't even stand before him because of the boils. Look what it says in verse 9. It shall come to pass, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon the beast. Upon every living creature, look what it says in verse 11. So the bull was upon the magicians, so they couldn't stand before him. And upon all the Egyptians, can you imagine? These bulls were on their body. They couldn't stand. They were on the bottom of their feet. They couldn't sit because of the placement. They couldn't lay. Now, I've never had a bull. I've heard about bulls, talked to people with bulls. Thankfully, I've never suffered that. But the magicians were so affected they said, we can't even walk over to the palace. It's too painful. Pharaoh, why don't you just give it up? At some point, you don't have anyone in your favor. Look what it said in, in chapter 9, verse 24. So there was hell and fire mingled with hell. I've never seen anything like this either. I can't imagine. The hand of God sending forth fire and hell. It was very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hell smote throughout all the land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hell smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Wouldn't you think at some point the Egyptians would be looking around at the utter destruction and saying, okay, Pharaoh, enough is enough. Just cave. Let them go. We're going to have nothing left. Look what it said in chapter 10, verse 14. The little that is left, God is going to smite. The locusts went up over all the land of Egypt. They've already put up with lice. They've already put up with frogs. They've already put up with hell. They've already put up with dead animals. And now the locusts went up over the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there was no such locusts as they, neither after them. 
For they covered, verse 15, the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hell had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or herbs in the field and through all the land of Egypt. Can things get worse? Can you imagine what the people are saying? Okay, they're waving the white flag of surrender. We can't take any more of this, but wait, it's simply going to get worse. The, your firstborn is going to die. Now, let me ask you this. What was, go back to chapter 10, verse 7, what was Pharaoh's attitude in all of this? Chapter 10, verse 7, Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long, Pharaoh, shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go. Now, remember we read something earlier about a snare in 2 Timothy? When you oppose yourself, what do you do? You fall right into the snare of who? That's the devil's snare. That's not Moses' snare. And you fall captive at his will. When he says the word, when, when a heart is proud, when a heart is lifted up, when a heart rebels against the word of God... Anytime Satan wants you to fall in the snare. I remember last year preaching at a camp and uh, one of the preachers there had a trap. And as he preached, he talked about people falling into a snare and falling into a trap. And uh, occasionally he'd put something in there and set that trap off and it would snap. The jaws of that metal would snap over that glass, that can, that stick. Did you know Satan does that to you at his will? That's what was taking place. Because in pride he was opposing himself. They said, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet? Look at the word yet. What were they saying? Hey, how long is it going to take for you to wake up? We've, we've suffered for months. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is what? How many times have you seen and how many times have we seen in our own lives that through pride and rebellion and stubbornness, there's a general destruction that takes place, whether that destroys our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, destroys our peace because of our own pride. Ten miracles. Matter of fact, the Bible says 15 times that Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's obstinate. Look what it says in chapter 9, verse 15. For now, now let me ask you this. Is God going to fail in accomplishing his will? No. Pharaoh, I'm going to do my good pleasure. I'm going to accomplish my will. I'm going to break you with simple objects like frogs, lice, and hell. Verse 15, I, now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in the very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Now here's his question. As yet exaltest thou thyself? Now let me ask you this. Can you imagine Almighty God looking down at a man? Who's the most powerful man on the planet? He does rule the world's empire. He considers himself powerful. But God says, I'm going to render your power powerless. You continue to exalt 
thyself against thy people that thou will not let them go. Behold tomorrow. Now, now look at this because every time God in his goodness, and it's the goodness of God that leadeth, leadeth man to repentance. I want you to think about this. Every time God gave Pharaoh an option, he said, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. Will you let them go? No. Now, in this case, he said, verse, look at this, 18, Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hell, such as not been seen in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field, for upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hell shall come down upon them and they shall die. Now let me ask you this. Can you show more goodness and mercy than this? God says, Pharaoh, here's what I'm going to do. You've already seen my hand. You've already seen the miracles. You've already seen the destruction. I've already destroyed your land. I'm going to send hell tomorrow. Now the good thing to do, the sane thing to do, the safe thing to do would be to take the cattle that remain and put them in shelters. Now, Pharaoh, I'm just telling you what you can do to avoid catastrophe. And here's the pride of man. You're not going to tell me what to do. Go get my cattle. put them in. Did you know Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't, never even had to walk out of his palace? Pharaoh never had to go to the field. Pharaoh never had to gather those cattle together. All Pharaoh had to do was blow the whistle and tell his servants, hey, get the cattle in a shelter, and that way we keep them. No, with an obstinate heart, he says... I'm leaving them in the field. Verse 20, he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and cattle to flee into the houses. And he that regarded, this is pride. This is an obstinate heart. He that regardeth not the word of the Lord, this is Pharaoh, left his servants and his cattle in the field. Keep your finger here for a minute, but go with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. While you're going there, let me reread our text. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle in meekness. That's Moses. Instructing, that's Pharaoh, those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance. What's that repentance based on? To the acknowledging of the truth. Did Pharaoh ever acknowledge from the heart the truth and repent? He could have. Here's what God said. Even on the ninth plague, he could have recovered himself from the snare. Even after the tenth, he could. He didn't have to have his entire army drowned in the sea. He could have recovered on some level. Look what it says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Despisest thou, Pharaoh, the riches of his goodness? Now, let me ask you this. If you'd already extended your mercy and your grace and your goodness and it had been stomped on repeatedly, if someone had looked at you and said, Who are you that I should obey your voice? I know not the Lord, is what Pharaoh said. And when we get to the plague of hell, God said, I'm going to send hell. But when I send hell, I just want you to know, if you put your cattle in the barns, if you put your cattle in a shelter, they're safe. And here's Pharaoh. Now, despises thou the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. He repeatedly stepped on and stamped the goodness of God. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, 
Treasures up for thyself, what? Wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now we know God hates pride. We won't read the text. Proverbs 16, 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. These six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination. What's the first one? A proud look. Can you imagine living your life resisted by Almighty God? What's the Bible saying, James 4, 6? God resisteth the proud. That's a man opposing himself. And here's human nature. And this is what society teaches us. And, and humanism exalts man and gets man to exalt himself. And our whole focus in life is on ourselves. And here's what God was trying to tell Pharaoh. If you would simply accept the truth. If you'd simply humble yourself. But no, you're devastating yourself, your kingdom, your life, your power, your future because of your pride. And God was putting his hand there. And every day, Pharaoh had to wake up to the resistance of Almighty God. And he giveth grace to the humble. Now, here's what's amazing. God even gives grace to the proud. He gave him ten chances. You don't do that. When you deal with people, oh, if it's your child that you are coddling, but in general, especially not to your enemies, you're not going to reach out and extend grace ten times. And that's what God did each time, each miracle, each plague. He was extending his grace, allowing Pharaoh the opportunity to repent, but knowing his heart because of his pride, he would continue to do what? Oppose himself. This ought to lead us to be humble. This is why God says, clothe yourselves in humility. That's why in Micah, God says, uh, what does the Lord God require of us? To walk humbly with our God. Did you know it's impossible to walk proudly with our God? We're supposed to be walking humbly, but he was being resisted daily. And he could have had more grace because God says this, God giveth what? God's not a liar. God is honest. God extends more grace. Now, he'll give grace to everyone, but I want more grace. I know who I am. I know what I deserve. And I, if I need anything or desire anything on this planet, it's more grace. Did you already experience God's grace? Absolutely. What do you want? More grace. How do you get more grace? It's not through a prayer. It's through humility. And God says, I will resist the proud, but I'll give more grace to the humble. Did you know that God would have shown more grace to Pharaoh if he would have simply humbled himself and said, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I acknowledge the truth. But he did not. The magicians, look what it says in chapter 8, verse 19. The magicians, even... Uh, his most faithful and ardent followers. They said, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is God. Now, here's what's funny to me. Did you notice the Egyptians just created a bigger problem? You know, it, Moses comes down there, it points his rod over the water, and it becomes blood. So the magicians, who are geniuses, if I were Pharaoh, I would have said, turn this back into water. I'm thirsty. 
He goes and finds some water that's still water and says, turn it to blood. I got a couple glasses of water here. See if you can do that trick. And they made it into blood. They were just making matters worse. But at this point, they said, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them. Not only would he not hearken to God, but he wouldn't hearken to his people. He wouldn't hearken to the magicians when they said, listen, just humble yourself. Look what it said in chapter 10, verse 3. Exodus 10, 3. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? What a question. God said, Pharaoh, how many miracles do I have to perform? How many plagues do you have to suffer? How devastated does this nation have to become before you actually Humble yourself. So here's what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh said, if you're wanting humility, I can fake it. If you're wanting repentance, I can fake it. Let me tell you something. Anyone can try to fake it. You just can't do it successfully with God. How many of you ever seen your children fake repentance? How many of you ever seen someone that's proud try to fake humility? It's a very difficult task. And here's what he does. Look what, look what Pharaoh does. He's, he decides to try duplicity. Chapter 9, verse 27. So, Pharaoh sent, called for Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, I have sinned. But listen to the confession of someone who's not yet humbled themselves, who's proud in their heart. You'll always see a million red flags that will reveal the true condition of their heart. I have sinned this time. Uh, no, actually, you've sinned every time. You've sinned today and yesterday and the day before and the month before and the year before. You've been sinning all your life and you'll sin tomorrow. It's not just this time. The Lord is righteous. Oh, he can, he can throw out something that sounds real. I and my people are wicked. Hold on for a second. Let him finish his confession because it becomes real fake and real obvious very quickly. Entreat the Lord for it's enough. Yeah, how I many you... Have you ever heard that kind of confession? I'm sorry, stop. I'm sick of the consequence. So in his prayer, he says, I've sinned this one time, but listen, I'm going to confess. I'm wicked, I'm wicked. It's enough, please stop this thing now. Look at the next words out of his mouth. That there be no more mighty thunderings in hell. Is that repentance? You know what repentance says in humility? I'm wrong. I've been wrong. God is right. God have mercy on me. Repentance doesn't say, I was wrong this time. So uh, let's go ahead and stop the punishment now. There was no humility. Matter of fact, Moses is straightforward in his response. Look what he says in verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, Moses speaking to Pharaoh, he says, I know that ye will not yet, what? Moses was fooled by this confession. Not at all. He said, I know that you will not fear the Lord. Matter of fact, look at chapter 16. He makes another confession. Chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord who? Do you see his confession? I've done your God wrong. Whoever that guy is, that God you serve, whatever, whoever. Whatever's happening, now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin, only this once, just forgive me now, entreat you, entreat the Lord for me, that he may take away from me what? 
What was all his confession about? Save me. I made this decision. I'm a, now, his confession was so insincere. Look what it says in verse 27. His heart is hardened. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. And Pharaoh, this is, listen, this is moments after his confession. Pharaoh said to him, get thee from me, take heed to thyself. See my face no more, for in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Forgive me my sin, get out of my face or you're going to die. That's very sincere repentance. Take away my consequences and get out of here now. I'll kill you. The insincerity had started way back in chapter 8. Go back with me to chapter 8 for just a minute. Verse 29. Moses said, Behold, I'll go out from the island, treat the Lord, that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servant, from his people tomorrow. But what's it say? Let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more. You know what a proud heart does? doesn't repent, doesn't humble itself. It simply says, I'm just going to fake it. There's only one problem. You just can't fake repentance. You can't fake humility. It comes across as very deceitful. And here's what. When a person has not humbled themselves, the, the humility or the repentance or the next step is to say, okay, here's what I've got to do. I've got to bargain. I've got to make a deal. I'm sorry, but no one bargains with God. No one makes deals with God. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 9. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. Remember back when we read our text about the man of God must not strive, but be gentle, apt to teach, in meekness instructing. Did you realize that Moses is not only submitting to God, but he's submitting himself to a hard-hearted man that is destroying his own nation. And when Pharaoh, instead of crying out for mercy, says, you entreat the Lord for me, what did Moses do? Repeatedly goes and entreats the Lord. Moses and Aaron, they said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me, from my people. I will let my people go that they may do sacrifice unto thee. Now, let me ask you this. Our text said, in meekness instructing them. In patience. Now, let me ask you this. You tell me Moses could have done anything meeker than this. Verse 9. Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over this is one of those passages in the Bible that just shocked me because I'm a leader. He goes to a sworn enemy who hates God and has repeatedly defied God. And Moses said, what are you going to do, Pharaoh? And Pharaoh said, go pray to God that he would take away this from me. And then Moses said, okay, I'll go. You tell me how, when, where. Give me all the instructions. I'll do it exactly the way you want me to do it. You glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee? You tell me when, where, and how. And for thy servants, for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain over the river. Now you tell me if this is a broken and contrite heart. You tell me that if this is humility and repentance. And here's what Pharaoh said. He's been living with the frogs. And Pharaoh says, what? He's got frogs jumping around on him right now at this very moment. He is so hard-hearted, so proud, 
so unrepentant that he says, just to show you that I control the show, not only are you going to go and pray for me, you're going to wait till tomorrow because I can handle this another day. Wow. Be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is uh, none like thee, none like unto the Lord our God. And Moses said, you know what? You want me to go tomorrow and treat the Lord? You tell me the time. You tell me what to do. That's what I'll be fine doing. Oh, the average church member, the average Christian would say, look at that. Pastor's with me on this one. Pastor gave me permission. Pastor thinks. Pastor Moses is in favor of tomorrow. Pastor Moses isn't in favor of anything. Pastor Moses is in treating you with all humility. And he says, you glory over me. That is simply amazing. Look what it says in verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was what? This is the unpenitent. When he saw there was relief, respite, the frogs went away. He did what? He hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them. Was he ever looking to repent or was he looking for respite? Here's God's response, chapter 9, verse 14. I will, at this time, God is speaking, send all my plagues now. Where are the plagues going to be sent? Upon thine heart. Here's what God said. I'm going to start dealing with your heart and see what happens. Now, let me ask you this. When did Pharaoh's confessions take place? Although insincere, when did they take place? After God started sending plagues upon Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh in pride and stubbornness. Now, I don't even know how we can comprehend this, but the bottom line is, Pharaoh was a religious man, but unsaved. He was lost. You know how difficult it is for Christians to repent? You know how distance repentance is from today's society? We're a proud people in a proud nation. And you can get people to do anything. You can get them to read this book. You can get them to attend church. You can get them to tithe and sow in and teach and work in ministries and run the youth and do the clubs. You can get people to build a building. You can get Christians to do everything. You can get people to walk in aisle, raise their hand, go forward in an invitation. Why is it so difficult nowadays to see people saved? Because the average heart is so lifted up in pride. The Bible still says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And it's not just the lost sinner that's refusing to repent. If you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, six times God calls the church to repent. And you can get Christians to do anything in this generation, but to truly repent. It takes too much humility. Pharaoh, admit you're wrong. Did you know wisdom starts with humility? Humility admits that it's wrong. Fools, it's a fool, the Bible says in Proverbs, that despises wisdom and instruction. Go with me to chapter 18, verse 10. 
Let me ask you this. Pharaoh deceived himself into thinking this was a battle he could win. Could he win this? Can you fight with God and win? No, he thought he could. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord God, chapter 18, verse 10. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered thy people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, remember what God had told them, so that everyone may know that I'm the Lord God. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt what? He was above them. Now, I want you to do two more things with me. Go back to 2 Timothy. We're going to read our text one more time. I'm going to read three more verses and we're going to be done. 2 Timothy 2, having said all of that, I want you to once again look at the verse in its context, the text this morning. The servant, Moses, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Did he strive? Be gentle. Was he gentle? Was he apt to teach? Was he patient? Did he go in meekness? Yes, I think he could check every single box. Instructing those that oppose themselves. That was Pharaoh in his pride, lifted up, refusing to repent. If God prevents you, will give them repentance to the acknowledging. Where does repentance start? One must first acknowledge the truth. And here's what we don't like to actually admit. I am wrong. God is right. It's just too tough of a spiritual exercise. To simply say, you say, Pastor, what is repentance? It's when you acknowledge the truth, you turn from something to God, and you submit yourself to his word. We make repentance something mystical that can't be attained. Repentance isn't mystical. Did he repent unto salvation? Did he say, I want forgiveness? I want God's mercy. I can't save myself. You know what he was turning from? Himself to God. But we have so much pride when God deals with us, the average Christian, the average person, hides, ducks, runs, covers, patches, denies. There is so little sin being dealt with, we simply become better at the practice and the art of hiding and covering and denying sin. There's so little victory now made, progress made in the Christian life because in our pride, we're not dealing with sin. We're dealing with superficial things that are seen and making sure whatever is seen by the public, whatever is seen by those around me, I simply keep it out of sight and out of view. That's not repentance. That they may recover themselves now, here's what you want, recovering. Get out of the snare of the devil. Stop being taken captive by him at his will. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, go ahead and shut your Bible for just a minute because we're going to be done in three minutes. I want to read you three texts. 1 Kings chapter 21. Here's what's amazing. God's mercy and grace, more grace, is constantly being offered and extended 1 Kings 21, we'll read verses 27 through 29. One of the most astounding verses in all the Bible, the wicked king Ahab, the wickedest king that ever walked the face of the planet. 
It says in verse 27, it came to pass when Ahab heard these words, he rent his clothes, he put on sackcloth, put it upon his flesh, he fasted, he lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? What did he do? He stopped opposing himself. He said, I'm going to get in favor of myself. Good thinking, Ahab. He humbleth himself before me. I will not bring evil in his days. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Judah was in shambles. They followed after false gods. Josiah now is the king. He's repented. And it's bringing about a national revival. God sees his humility in verse 27 and says this, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. I'm going to read you one more text in Jonah text that was read that wicked city Nineveh that was going to be destroyed God said 40 days and it will be destroyed but the king got an idea he didn't even know James 4 6 he had never even read God resisted the proud but giveth more grace but he thought you know what I think I want more grace I'm going to try humility Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Now, can you imagine if Pharaoh had said this? But he refused. Let them turn everyone from his evil way, from his violence that is in their hands. Verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and repent? Let me tell you a secret. God will. God gives more grace to the humble. But his hand of resistance is against the proud every single day. You are opposing yourself when you function in pride. And the same hand that opposes the proud is whisking along and helping the humble. Wouldn't you much rather have that hand behind you pushing you forward than in front of you impeding your progress? Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? God did what? He saw their works that they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil that he had said that he would not do to them or that he said he would do unto them and he what? He did it not. If you go to hell from these church pews this morning, you will go because you opposed yourself. God has done everything in your favor. He gave you a book. He translated it into English. He revealed his divine will. He talked to you about salvation. He sent his son. His son died on the cross. His son shed his blood. God's, God brought you someone to witness to you, hand you a tract, show you a Bible, 
put you in church. God has done everything in your favor. So if you're in the front row or the second row or the fifth row or the back row, if you're in the upstairs or if you're in the foyer, if you're in the back, in the nursery, it doesn't matter who you are. God wants you to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9 says it this way. God's not slack concerning his promise. Is some men count slackness? But his long-suffering. Who's more long-suffering than God? Not willing that any should perish. Not even Pharaoh. But that all should come to. That's the acknowledging of the truth. All you have to do to get born again is stop opposing yourself. Because God's put everything in your favor. And he said, I sent my son. I offer you eternal life. And if you in a simple faith receive him as Savior, God doesn't complicate salvation. Man does. God says, all I need is a little bit of humility because the first fruit of humility is repentance. And if Pharaoh would have simply humbled himself and said, I'm wrong, God's right. I'm going to submit to his word. Guess what? He saves himself from the snare of the devil. You know the worst snare of the devil? Hell. Going to hell is not a very smart idea. And in order to go, everything's in your favor to go to heaven but you can still go to hell. And the way to do it, simply oppose yourself. Simply say, I will not submit. I think this. I've been taught something else. God's word says salvation is by grace through faith alone, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man will simply humble himself, say, God, you know what? Your word is right. Christ is the only Savior. He's my only hope. I trust him. You can stop opposing yourself. And then let me say this, because this message has two parts. It's not just to the unsaved. Christian, the best thing you can do for your family, for yourself, your life, and your future is to stop opposing yourself. And the way to stop opposing yourself is say, I want to walk humbly before my God because any pride will be met with divine resistance. And when I walk in pride... I live in the snare of the devil, constantly captured by him at his will, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves.